Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Playlist Podcast, the show where we discuss film news, reviews, uh, any pertinent pop culture items that we feel are worth discussing. I'm Ryan Oliver, and today I'm here with Playlist Managing Editor, Charles Barfield. How are you doing today, Charles? I'm doing well. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Before we get started, I need to mention that this uh, show is part of the Playlist Podcast Network over on theplaylist.net. If you enjoy this show, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice, be it Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, however you get your show, and you'll get access to this show as well as adjust your tracking, over under movies, Be Real, Indie Beats, uh, and all our various other shows. And with that out of the way, today we are going to discuss... Um, we, we were kind of waiting till the, the fallout of uh, Christmas and, and, and New Year's to kind of go over um, the fall slash winter box office. Um, I think you and I both like statistics, so it'll be interesting to dive into this. But uh, our jumping off point, this was kind of like the industry um, – Sort of, I think, as you mentioned off mic, D-Day for the film industry, uh, <laughs> yeah. which was December 21st, which saw five major releases from uh, from major studios come out. Uh, those movies are Aquaman, Bumblebee, uh, Mary Poppins Returns, which came out the previous Wednesday, uh, Welcome to Marwin, Second Act, uh, as well as the second weekend of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And so that's a lot, and there's there's definitely been a lot of uh, a lot of blood and sweat come out of that. There's there's been some movies that have been highly successful out of that, and some not so much. Um, but I wanted to pass it to you to start off, um, just kind of like your feelings on it, your feelings on any of the movies themselves, any like thing you've noticed from from that day. Sure. Um, so yeah, December 21st, we months out in advance, we who follow these sorts of things knew that this was going to be the day make or break for a lot of studios. Um, Aquaman, Bumblebee, Mary Poppins were the big ones. But like you said, second weekends of Spider-Man, Spider-Verse, into the Spider-Verse. And then you had the second weekend of Mortal Engines, um, which in hindsight sounds funny that you even think of that, but that was one we were considering. And then, you know, what ended up happening was Aquaman of all movies ended up not just winning it out, but dominating it for the entire end of 2018 and well into 2019. Now um, it just recently this last weekend uh, finished second place to uh, the upside. But before that it was three number ones in a row and by a large margin. Um, and, and what ended up happening is like you said, some movies did really well like Aquaman some movies did terribly, like Welcome to Morrowind, which you could say is uh, perhaps a, a factor from the bad reviews or just the, the competition or, you know, what have you. There's probably a million reasons and everybody over at Universal is trying to figure that out. But either way, uh, Marwin did horribly. But then you had this weird middle ground with movies like Mary Poppins Returns, which many were thinking could be this massive breakout hit. And while it's done well, uh, is perhaps not as as you know, uh, well-regarded in, in box office terms that Disney would want. And then you had Bumblebee, which is coming off this just massive Transformers uh, franchise and has put up numbers that are shocking, um, shockingly low, I should say. And then you have uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which, you know, people are like, oh, Sony has a Spider-Man cartoon coming out? That's weird. And then the movie gets the best reviews of the year. It's picking up all kinds of awards consideration. It just won uh, the Golden Globe. 
and and this movie is doing okay. You know, it's it's just there's this there's really no rhyme or reason other than people love Fishman movie and everybody else is just kind of just you know, grasping at whatever dollars are left. Um, so yeah, it was an interesting weekend, interesting end of the box office for 2018. It is interesting. And, and one thing I know uh, you wanted to bring up, and I think it would be an interesting discussion given that, you know, Aquaman and Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse came out around the same time. And, um, and Venom came out a couple, like a month and a half, two months beforehand. I know, uh, I think maybe the last time, not the last time we talked, but like you and I reviewed Venom on the show. Um, mm-hmm. but we had no idea what it was going to do financially at that point. Um, and then that film made 860 million worldwide and like 217, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, domestically or 213. Um, and the movie's pretty bad. And and Aquaman, I guess it depends on who you speak, you know, speak to, but I know you think that movie is also pretty bad. And Spider-Verse, as you mentioned, this uh movie that's getting just rapturous response, just absolute glowing reviews is trailing behind these two movies. Um so I know you wanted to pose the question like do, like does this mean was this why we can't have nice things like the two <laughs> the two terrible comic book movies are are making all this money over here and then the really great uh subversive unique one is uh doing well considering its budget but not as well as these other ones so we have this movie over here that's like really great and unique uh and it's making okay money compared to its budget but then you have these movies that like some regard as terrible uh venom pretty much unanimously so uh, making all the money and, and i guess like the question you wanted to pose and 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 i want to bring up is like is this why we can't have nice things is this gonna sort of like lead to more mediocre to bad comic book movies it's interesting right so like you said venom uh was a complete shock we we did we did review it and we we joked quite a bit about it you know laughing like this silly little Sony Spider-Man movie without Spider-Man is not going to do anything, you know? And as you said, it goes on to to be one of the biggest Spider-Man movies, period. Uh, and then you have Aquaman, which has just crossed a billion dollars, has exceeded everybody's expectations. But depending on who you ask, it's either the greatest thing ever or the worst thing ever. And while I would say it's not the worst thing ever, it's definitely on the bad side for me. And then you have, like you said, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And it's, you know, people don't say this about movies very often where they're like, you know, it, it reinvents a genre, you know, or it, it did things in animation that we had literally never seen before. Um, it's it's this incredible movie that not only has one Spider-Man, has two Peter Parkers, Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen. It's got, you know, Nicolas Cage is a Spider-Man in it. It's got everything that could sell toys. It looks good on you know, commercials. And yet somehow it's just middle of the road box office. And, and granted, you know, nobody's expecting an animated Spider-Man movie to do, you know, probably a billion dollars. But, you know, when people are talking about this movie, like it's the second coming, you would imagine it would do better than what it's at. And I really hope it it isn't this uh, idea. Uh, so hmm, let me back up. Studios tend to take uh, big picture trends instead of really trying to break down why a movie does well right so you have a movie like aquaman and venom which are dumb fun uh no matter how you look at it they're not great movies the scripts are pretty silly the plots are kind of predictable um you have a charismatic lead and you know a lot of explosions and you know 
bright stuff going on. So hopefully studios don't look at it and say, well, what people obviously want is, you know, lots of explosions, a charismatic lead, a dumb plot and bad dialogue. Um, hopefully what they learn is that maybe it's just that Aquaman is different or, you know, Venom was something different and, you know, go from there. But uh, that's that's the one worry I have coming out of the end of 2018 box office is if you're a superhero movie fan, um, you know, these movies are not what the genre is capable of, um, especially in a year where you had Black Panther just do so well. And Infinity War, for all its problems, did really well and is, is generally regarded as a good movie. And then, you know, here we go at the end of the year with Venom and Aquaman eating up all the money. It just... Uh, it's it's sad. <laughs> I would agree. I think it is a little disheartening, um, especially like personal taste for, for me in the case of Venom, for sure. But I do think that like it, it, and it would be it, it's an interesting parallel, I think, with something like Bumblebee, for example, I guess, or or two sides of the same coin. Like you mentioned Black Panther and Infinity War, and they, they came out regarded as very good movies, especially Black Panther. Black Panther being the highest domestic grocer of the year. And, um, but I think positive things yield positive results and negative things or negative word of mouth will reveal themselves to be negative. It was such a strong year for comic book movies in the front half of the year that I think like people were still a little buzzed on that feeling. And I think with like Venom and Aquaman also being different too from the mold, I think that coupled with people still being jazzed about these movies led to that being successful. Uh, I mean, in the case of Venom, the other thing to note, at least domestically, while it did exceeded all of our expectations, it was pretty front loaded as well. It had like an 84 million opening and then completely dropped off the, not like completely dropped, but it had like a 2.6 multiplier um, mm-hmm. where Aquaman's had like, I don't know what, like at least a three something at this point. Yeah. Um, but I think the positivity and the quality of those other movies kind of paved the way for those movies to do well. Whereas you look in the case of something like Bumblebee, a movie that's well-reviewed, pretty much everyone who's seen it liked it, but you have that stank from the other Transformers movies <laughs> to it. You know, like people are just, they're not as high on that series because they got, the, you know, Paramount went to the well one too many times with the with the Michael Bay versions. And I think people were... Uh, kind of apprehensive about seeing another Transformers movie as evidenced by its box office. It's had terrific legs. It's it opened to 21 million and it's it's just crossed the 100 million mark. So that's a five time multiplier, but it just didn't open high enough to I guess to its budget and so it's it's hurting, but I guess what I'm wondering from that is um will they is the series is that series dead in the water or did they think they got enough goodwill and it will be profitable just enough for them to to kind of pull their bootstraps up and make make another one uh that's an interesting concept i will one second to back up on the superhero thing sure um i want to remind everybody about the early 2000s you had this uh explosion of superhero movies thanks to brian singer's x-men uh, and X2, which was is still regarded as one of the better superhero movies of all time, followed by the Raimi Spider-Man in 2002, which was a huge box office success and, and really kind of paved the way for this modern superhero structure and look and feel. And then shortly after there, you had Ghost Rider and Daredevil and Elektra 
and you had these movies that were trying to to bank off this superhero, uh, you know, uh, trend. They made decent money. Daredevil, I think, made over a hundred million, but they were just bad, and it ended up setting the genre back uh, until Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios came along with um, Iron Man in two thousand eight, and then now we're in this modern renaissance of of superhero movies. So while Aquaman and Venom are great for some people, and they're making a lot of money. I just I hope that what we're not seeing is another step back where the studios learn the wrong uh, lessons and we enter this dark age of superhero movies again. Uh, I, I without a doubt, I'm a big superhero fan. So, you know, I can't hide that. I want these movies to all be good and all do really well. But uh, it's just it's it's a little worrisome. Um that's understandable yeah. too. Like that's a good warning for everybody. Like I remember, I remember those dark times of those pretty, pretty awful movies. And um, I, I do think the the frequency in which they come out and at the quality that they are made is hope. Hopefully, would negate that or the fact that um, or the fact that like even though Aquaman is a huge worldwide smash, as you mentioned, it's crossed a billion dollars. It's still it's still slightly trailing even man of steel domestically. Like it's going to pass mm-hmm. that soon, but it like, it's still, and it's not even going to come close to um, wonder woman's domestic take. Um, you know, it's probably going to tap out around like low three hundreds. Um, so like, I, I guess maybe despite, <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is maybe in the States, there's still some sort of standard <laughs> that, that people <laughs> see to these movies because it's not making the, the 600, 700 million that like infinity war and black Panther made. Um, I mean, it's still making a lot of money, but it's, it's not still not making as much as those movies are. So. Yeah. Yeah. But we, we got to also think that China is, is kind of where it's at right now. And, and you know, unfortunately, you know, no offense to the Chinese people that may be listening, but China doesn't seem to have the same quality standards as far as their American imports as uh, those here do. So, um, I mean, they love their Fast and Furious movies. Sure. Um, so, you know, that's that's the only thing is, you know, international is so huge now that uh, a studio like Warner Brothers to look at Aquaman and say, sure, we made 320 million domestically, but boy, oh boy, we did 800 million overseas. And, you know, anyway, I don't want to, to, to crap on Aquaman so much, but, uh, that's, that's just my one concern. Um, and we can, we can talk about Transformers. <laughs> oh, sure. We could pivot it, which was perfect. Cause I was just going to mention like, uh, like again, hand in hand, like, transformers were making their bank in china as as well and and granted bumblebee i think opened well too but even there that that series did start to take a dip as it did in the states which which leads us to bumblebee which again that's a weird it's both weird and not surprising at the same time just because i think that series has for for people who aren't who maybe came to the idea of transformers through the movies or have no connection with it outside of them kind of got burnt out by those movies and so maybe oh go ahead sorry i was gonna say i completely agree i think uh, bumblebee for as good as it is and and i'm on the side of it being actually very good um and granted i am a big transformers fan as well growing up with the cartoon but it's it's a little disheartening to see a good transformers movie do uh just well below even the worst performing michael bay movie um and and yeah, unfortunately, it can't shake the, the, as you said, the stank of Michael Bay and all of his bayhem. You know, it's 
and and if you watch the first what ten minutes of that movie, you know right off the bat this is different. You know, oh, yeah. Um, it has so much heart. Uh, it has human characters which are well written, um, that are believable, and you are sympathetic to what they're going through. And and all of that was missing from from Michael Bay's versions, and yet somewhere this movie just you know can't make its money back um it is budgeted at 135 it's making 109 right now domestically it has worldwide gross of 367 million which is uh uh partially because china it's already at 100 million in two weekends so hopefully the chinese will come through and and support this movie a little bit more but ultimately you're left with a really decent movie that can't escape its, uh, you know, bad five bad movies before it, and and people just are are kind of over it. And so, hopefully, the Paramount people are looking at this as a slight win with the reception it got from fans and from critics, and will you know build from that instead of looking at it that drastically underperformed, leading to perhaps another reboot. Um, because you know they're not going to keep Transformers on the shelf. Um, it, there will be Transformers movies in the future, no matter what. Oh yeah, I mean, other than um, I mean, other than Mission Impossible, it is their Paramount's largest series. Um, I guess that and Star Trek, but um, you know, they're they're kind of not, or they're reassessing Star Trek. That's probably for a different <laughs> podcast. Like, I guess yeah, that's a whole other can. It's a whole other can of worms, but. Um, I, I, I think I'm, I think I'm with you and that they're going to see this as a slight win because they're they're You're right. They're not going to keep the series on the shelf and they've had five. Like, I wouldn't even just say, I wouldn't even say bad doesn't even do it justice. Like aggressively awful <laughs> movies. And, um, and it was on a dovetail anyway. Like everyone, I think since the second one has had a drastic decline in performance. Um, I, I don't know. Bumblebee could, I'm not going to say that it will, but it could even leg it to the domestic performance of the the previous movie, The Last Night. Um, it, it could even get to that point. So it's it's they just they have a lot of rebuilding to do with the brand. They just they went to that well one too many times with the Bay versions, and really lost a lot of people's trust with uh, with the series. And I think they're they will gain it back. They just have to keep making more movies like Bumblebee and show that they're capable of it and, and less like the last night or, or uh, age of extinction or, or whatever those ones are. Oh, they're ter- terrible titles too. But yes, uh, the one thing that, that does bother me about Bumblebee isn't uh, as a standalone movie. It's great, but as a franchise reboot, it really is lacking. It reminds me of when Fox wanted to reboot the X-Men. And they brought in Matthew Vaughn. They did First Class, which was this new take on it. But it saddled them with this prequel problem. And and Bumblebee kind of does the same thing. This is just definitely in the 80s. And where do you go from there? Do you have another movie in the 80s? Do you do what Fox did? Go ahead 10 years? You know, or do you just fast forward to present day and reboot everything? There's, there's a lot of questions still, even if they want to compete uh, or I'm sorry, continue Transformers uh, after the success of Bumblebee. Uh, that being said... You know, it's hard to deny that the movie did really, really well with critics. And and ultimately, that's that's something that they just can't overlook. Um, so, yeah, I hope I hope they go with Bumblebee as a, a, the bedrock to a new franchise. Um, but but I'm still worried. I'm still burned by Michael Bay. So we'll see. Yeah. 
totally that's and that's an understandable burn it it yeah. it, it cuts deep that's for sure it does it um, does but i do uh, yeah i i think i think and i and i hope for the sake of people who are fans of that series that um you know they they get that rebuilt um another question i wanted to uh pose i guess is um the question we're we're talking about Bumblebee and we're talking about Spider Verse, uh, two movies, two well received movies that um, maybe aren't living up to their fullest potential in the box office. That you know maybe just maybe releasing these all on Christmas Day <laughs> or or close to Christmas Day wasn't the best idea. Like maybe wouldn't you think that something like Bumblebee would have done better? Like if not the summer, like in October or a, a March release, some you know something away from such like stiff and similar competition as as aquaman so yes common sense would dictate the releasing three major movies on the same day is a terrible idea (laughs) right right like there's only so many screens there's only so many dollars there's only so many people in the world but what we're really looking at now is uh, a time when there isn't a safe month to release a blockbuster by itself um, you mentioned October. That's when Venom came out. Uh, March of this year is you have Captain Marvel. February, or I'm sorry, even January this weekend, um, you have Glass, which is people are going to say is going to make like 70 million. Um, you, you have February. Uh, we were just talking about this. There's, and there's just really no safe month anymore. Uh, the summer, especially, is a, a crapshoot nowadays. So while it seems silly and preposterous, there's when you really back it up and you you think like, okay, where would I put Bumblebee? Maybe the end of August. Um, But that was Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's 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 really there's just no safe place anymore. Um, So you're left with a movie that and and I'm, you know, the people at Paramount who uh, schedule these movies and, you know, our distribution experts probably are smarter than us about it. They, they probably thought about this, too. And they're like, well, you know, unfortunately, our best bet is to put this movie out when a lot of people go and see movies. And that's the Christmas break. And, you know, they 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 rolled the dice. It didn't uh, come up exactly what they wanted. And, you know, now they're left to decide where to move forward. That's true. And I guess, you know, the other thing, too, is like if it had a if it had an opening the size it did any time uh, else in the calendar year it would have been an outright disaster. Like yeah, the, yeah. It would have, it would have tumbled 40 to 50%. It's next weekend. It would not have had the legs that it's had over Christmas. So it's like, yeah, it almost is the best case scenario. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, it's still not quite what they were hoping for. Um, and, and that's too bad. I think um, it's kind of in our notes here, but like spider verse, while we would both like to see the movie be doing better, I think its spot was probably the most perfect it could have been, I guess. Um, Cause it is, it, it is having tremendous staying power. Um, as you mentioned off mic, it's going to lose screens in the coming weeks to the Lego movie too. And, and to how to train your dragon, the hidden world. But it still is like, I mean, it's, it's a large world, but like I went, I went to see it again Saturday night to like a completely sold out theater um, people are still still going and seeing this movie, which is heartening. But um, yeah, I'm curious if the award, the inevitable like best animated feature Oscar nomination and probably win. I'm wondering if it will help it or not. 
You know, I, that's the, the other common sense that you, you factor in this time of year is that all these movies that are underperforming, um, The Vice, uh, you know, perhaps even um, Green Book, all these movies that are going to get awards love, you would imagine, you know, the studios are going to rush it out into more theaters after it gets nominations or wins. And then, you know, the people will flock to see what they missed. But as we're mentioning, the end of February, which is when they'll hand out the Oscars, is smack dab in just a problem time at the box office for pen- temples. You have uh, you'll have Lego movie. You'll have How to Train Your Dragon. Um, a couple weeks after that, you'll have Captain Marvel. It's. It, you would hope that people would go and say like, "Hey, what did I miss in this Spider Verse movie?" But it's it's just going to be tough going. And and like we said at the very beginning, this is a time of year, the the Christmas season, and and now leading into early 2019, it's just these movies are just scraping every last penny they can find to to try to stick around. And luckily, the the holds for Spider Verse and Bumblebee have been good, but. You know, ultimately, they started so much lower than they should have or or maybe were predicted to that they're just trying to get back to even at this point. So totally. who knows? And, and set themselves up for for the future as well. For, yeah. For yeah. other movies and other Spider-Man properties, which before we kind of fully get off the, the superhero topic, I think it's also worth mentioning. We already brought up Venom. We're talking about Spider-Verse. Um, for, for anybody out there hoping that Marvel would eventually get the film rights back to Spider-Man, you're probably going to keep hoping for a very long time because I think Sony is going to hold on to those rights as long as they can, um, especially because they've proven with Spider-Verse uh, to a lesser degree and then Venom success that they can they can do it. They can do it without uh, Marvel Studios help. That's true. And, and you know, ultimately Venom is is their new franchise, right? That's the the Tom Hardy live action franchise is a good thing to bank on and it'll do really well in the sequel guaranteed. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Sony uh, capitalizes on Venom's success with things like Morbius with Jared Leto, which looks really weird uh, just in theory. Uh, You know, they're trying to do, they were thinking about doing their own sort of Spider-Verse thing with the live action with different versions of Spider-Man like Silk who's a, a Korean-American female Spider-Man. And, and um, so they're, they're, they're going to try some weird things in live action that will ultimately see where Sony is at as far as the Spider-Man spinoff thing. But Into the Spider-Verse itself as a cartoon is going to do their own spinoffs. They're going to have a guaranteed sequel, they said, and they're going to try to spin off Spider-Gwen into an animated adventure. So, you know, really 2018 was a great year for Sony as far as their Spider-Man properties It'll be interesting to see how they capitalize on it if they do and uh, and where it goes in the future. But as you said, it's going to be years until Sony, if ever, is like, yeah, sure, you can have Spider-Man back. Um, I mentioned it to you earlier. It's it's one of those things where now with the success of Venom, you're looking at a very real possibility of Sony saying not only that we don't want to give you Spider-Man, but we don't want you to have Spider-Man at all in the MCU, which uh, could be something that's uh sooner than later so we'll see we'll definitely see um i i do want to bring up you 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 mentioned uh vice and Mm -hmm. um one thing is just striking me and i was just maybe maybe it's all the the awards talk and kind of look like reflecting on award seasons past like how strange it is that um and strange and how brutal the landscape is now that like you know back in even as in as late as like uh 2010 
where something like the King's Speech, uh, which was the Best Picture winner, like legged it to a hundred and fifty million domestic performance, and yet like some of the like you mentioned Green Book, you mentioned Vice, like these sort of like would be or like we're gunning for award consideration, like even they are hurting like the, the uh, movies made for a quote unquote adult audience. Um, And so I find that fascinating. Um, But I wanted to bring up vice because it did, um, it came out on Christmas day proper on a Tuesday. Um, I forgot what it grossed on its opening day, but it's opening weekend was around 7 million. Um, Mm -hmm. And it has made about 37 million up into this point uh, or 35 million, excuse me. Um, which is not bad I, I, for like a, a, a historical uh, biopic such as is that. But um, according to that Annapurna article that came out uh, recently, uh, that movie cost like sixty million, sixty five million, uh, where a movie like that probably should be costing like thirty million dollars. Um, so I know that movie's banking on award love for to drive it, but it's going to take a lot for that movie to to break even. As far as the theatrical run of that movie, it's not going to break even, right? 60 million budget means you have to double it. Right. Um, for, well, you have to do some, you probably have to get closer to 180 or, um, you know, 200 million to really see the black on that after you get advertising and everything. So the movie's just not going to do that. Uh, and, and as you said, the King's Speech, right? The, that was a time when an Oscar movie, right? A quote unquote Oscar movie just carried this sort of like gravitas where people are like, I don't care what it's about. I'm going to go see that. Yeah. But now it's just, I, I, I wonder, uh, I don't know what the mindset is because you also have, uh, on the basis of sex, which isn't a massive movie by any stretch, but is a, you know, a biopic about Ruth Bader Ginsburg with army hammer and Felicity Jones. And I've seen the movie. It's, you know, the tried and true biopic sort of structure, but it's going to struggle to do well. Um, Vice, which is a very odd movie, you you undersold it by just saying it's a biopic of a historical event. It's <laughs> it's weird. I know it's um, weird, but it's but, <laughs> but on the surface, you know, it still yeah, is, yeah, for is sure. a historical biopic. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And, and that movie is going to struggle. The 60 million has to be cast, right? Like that's yeah. just... I mean, the, the cast that for that movie is ridiculous. But then you have something like If Beale Street Could Talk, which is a movie that people have been talking about as an Oscar frontrunner since August or September when it premiered at the film festivals. Mm-hmm. And that movie, as of today, has $8 million in total grossing in domestically, which is a shame. Um, <laughs> and and But then, then again... A Star is Born, Bohemian Rhapsody, these movies are doing 200 million. So it, it's it's not quite an apples to apples comparison to compare Bohemian Rhapsody to If Beale Street Could Talk. But these are movies that 10 years ago people would have said, I'm going to go see that If Beale Street Could Talk movie. But now that's just not the way it is anymore. Um, perhaps it's the number of screens. I don't know. It's, you know, when you're competing with movies that are in 4,000 screens and you are fighting just to get 1,000 you know, it's going to be hard to, to really bring in those numbers. No, oh, totally. That could t- also be the case. I was going to say, another, but an apples apples comparison to, to like the stars borns and the Bohemian Rhapsodies would be something like first man. Like, Oh what, yeah. What happened to that movie? Like that movie 
got just rapturous reviews um and and still like and still even has awards consideration but it tapped out at like 40 something million domestically um on a 60 million budget like on the surface you're like oh uh uh uh, neil armstrong biopic uh starring ryan gosling directed by damien chazelle who's an oscar winner like that's that seems like a slam dunk no-brainer and people were just no, they just did not show up for that movie. <laughs> I mean, all. you could ten years ago, you would just have a commercial that would have been a black screen that says from the director of La La Land, yep. and it would have had you know a number one weekend. But absolutely, yeah. Nowadays, and and I'm sure people are screaming at whatever they're listening to, saying you know Netflix and streaming, and and I think you know in the case of these movies that are mid budget Oscar players that you know trend towards the older audiences. There is probably a correlation between people who are staying at home and and waiting for these movies to come on VOD or Netflix versus, you know, paying 10 bucks a ticket to go see it at your local art house if you're lucky. Um, So that's true. Yeah. I mean, if you look at like a lot of the major movies that came out or at least like the most acclaimed movies that came out from Netflix, like like Roma and uh, Private Life. um, They're they're 100 percent. Those are the movies that would have been playing on the big screen like. 10 15 years ago like those would have been the movies that that the adult audience would have been flocking to and now they're they are on the streaming service so of course that is i think that's playing in but i do think there's still a theatrical art theatrical slice of the pie for adult audiences but there's i think there's just even to chalk it up there's just too many movies out there in general (laughs) (laughs) you know there's like three major movies at least being released a week and it's just like you know there's only so much money to go around um, I mean, we're we're in uh, middle of January, which for historically is the dead zone of of box office. And last week we had Escape Room, which you know is is whatever you think of it as a thriller horror movie that has made thirty two million. Uh, you have the upside this weekend, uh, previous weekend with Kevin Hart leading and Brian Cranston. Um, you had the Dog's Way Home movie, which is you know a big family play, and then next week you have Glass. So. It's just there's like you said, there's just there's no uh, there's so much competition now that there's just no real safe place for these adult oriented movies to to kind of stake their claim. It's true. It's 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 hard out there, um, but <laughs> it's hard on those theatrical streets. It is. It really is. <laughs> as, as, as I think as two people who love going to see movies in the theaters, it's like, you know, we, we still sort of like cling on to to you know beat that drum for people to see um but before we swing on to the next topic um away from the adult dramas that but the one adult drama that has succeeded pretty well i think against all odds is the mule the new yeah. Clint Eastwood movie uh as of the time of this recording has made almost 91 million uh it's done nothing overseas but it no one expected that one too um, and just quietly, no. I think it had a 17 million open and just slowly but surely people have uh, gone and seen the movie. And it's uh, honestly with the legs it's had, it's probably going to to cross 100 million, which is, um, you know, I, I guess maybe chalk it up to just Clint staying power with older audiences. But it's uh, yeah, that movie is a success despite its uh, quite large budget 
that's not really on the screen, but that's my personal <laughs> bias. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say uh, I'm not a Clint Eastwood. Well, I would say that's that's harsh to say I'm not a Clint Eastwood fan because that's wrong. I'm not a fan of his more recent output as a director. Same. Yeah. And when I saw The Mule on paper, Clint Eastwood starring, directing, I was just like, oh, no. And and then you watch that trailer. It's got a very good trailer um, that, that sells this like kind of drama with Bradley Cooper and and a Clint Eastwood that's kind of playing his age and it, it just it kind of looked interesting but then personally I have to say I, I will preface this by saying I haven't seen the movie yet but from uh talking with people who have um from the moment it premiered through all the reviews and everything it seems to be a very odd movie too and that's what that's really striking to me is this weird Clint Eastwood movie with a lot of personality has not only done well, um, it's going to do $100 million and it had a budget of $50 million, which, like you said, may or may not be on the screen. Who knows? But just $100 million. And this is a movie also that people were thinking was going to have Oscar consideration but has zero Oscar buzz. And somehow it just found an audience. And, and it may be Clint Eastwood, but, you know, there's some there's some alchemy I don't even know going on there with that movie i think part of it is clint on screen um just not to get too deep in the weeds um but when i was a senior in high school and um grand torino uh expanded from its platform mm. release to a wide release uh not only did that movie kill at the theater that i was working at but i saw all kinds of people 70 plus who i've never seen in that movie but theater ever um, come out of the woodwork to go see the movie that Clint Eastwood was in. Um, doesn't always happen for his just directorial gigs, but when he's on screen, there's just something that brings a older audience out to it. So while the movie has no buzz and it's got mixed reviews and it is an odd movie, uh, I have seen it. I, I did not uh, hate it by any stretch, but it, I could say it's an odd movie. And um, But I'm also not surprised um, because I've seen this. I have seen this happen, you know, almost a decade ago. So it it doesn't entirely surprise me, um, but it is odd, to say the least. Yeah. I I, you know, you mentioned Gran Torino and that's a movie that kind of, I guess, is a similar story, except that that did have awards buzz. But right. It uh, it's it's a different Clint Eastwood, I think, Uh, you know, I I see Gran Torino Clint Eastwood and I see the mule Clint Eastwood and he just looks you know, it's just so much more, uh, I guess, uh, older. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice because he's a legend and he's a great actor and, and all that jazz, you know. But it's just it's one of those things where I, I don't see the mule as this like, you know, big Clint Eastwood, you know, headlining movie. But I, I guess it is. And and for that audience, you know, maybe it had a heck of a Reader's Digest advertising campaign that I missed. And, totally. you know, everybody showed up. So. Props to Clint Eastwood. He can still do it at almost 90 years old. So good for him. Yeah, for sure. And he's he's come out with the most, you know, the not not acclaim. That's not the right word. But like the the best performing adult drama that came out during the, the winter, uh, during the December month. So that's, I mean, that's, that's no small feat. Um, we were also going to look at some of the movies that didn't do so well. I think the movie, <laughs> the movies that like, you know, we, we kind of bemoan. That the, the Bumblebee and, and the Spider-Verses didn't do as well as they could have, but they don't hold a candle to some of the movies that have really, really, really bit the dust um, that came out around the holidays. We're talking 
Welcome to Marwin, I guess, is probably the one we need to talk about <laughs> the most. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen the movie myself. Um, I don't know if you have or not, but, um, you know, it, I mean, it comes out, stars Steve Carell, who's was in, you know, kind of a couple awards hopefuls this year with that and uh, Beautiful Boy. And um, and it's directed by a legend. Vice by... also, by the way. Oh, yeah, of course. And Vice. Duh. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, he, it's directed by Robert Zemeckis, who's a legend, who has also had a pretty rough go at the box office in the last, like, decade, I would say, between Allied mm-hmm. underperforming and The Walk just being kind of a straight-up bomb. Um, this movie opened to, like, $2 million, and I think it's done about $10 million, uh domestic total. And it yep. was a massive massive critical failure as well which is not what you know it's basically this year's i think i saw i can't take credit for this i did see it somewhere that said it's basically this year's downsizing essentially (laughs) both both in how misguided it it is uh and how not good it is um but yeah that movie really 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 bit the dust yeah i I, boy steve carell Coming into January 2018, he's looking at Beautiful Boy with Timothy Chalamet, Mm -hmm. Vice with that cast, uh, and Welcome to Marwin, directed and written by Robert Zemeckis. And this guy's like, man, I am going to have all the accolades. And here we are in January 2019, and boy, oh boy, it did not turn out the way he had hoped. Um, Vice, he's great in, hands down, but he's overshadowed by just about everybody else in that movie, which is a shame because... Boy, he chews the scenery in that movie and is great. Uh, Then you had Beautiful Boy where he's really great. But let's be real. That's Timothy Chalamet's movie from beginning to end. And now Welcome to Marwin, his starring movie. I mean, he's even playing a doll in the movie. And not only is it just a a box office bomb, but it is, you know, people are saying worst movie of the year when they're talking about this. And and, and this is an odd one, too, because clearly Zemeckis was swinging for the fences with this movie. It's got this really interesting story that was made really well into a documentary some years back that he just decided to, you know, flex his motion capture muscles again and uh, turned in a movie that just is tonally a mess and is just not a good showcase for Steve Carell and audiences just couldn't care less. And... You're looking at a $39 million budget, which isn't terrible by by any stretch. That's a mid-budget, definitely. But when your movie only makes $12.4 million worldwide, it is um, a terrible showing. Because uh, then you factor in you know, advertising and publicity and, and just everything else that goes into these movies being released in the theaters. And this is, the, the, I think, the number... Uh, we wrote an article. I think the number is something like $60 million that Universal is going in the whole just because of Marwin and that's just a, it's a, it's a shame, but also it's, it's understandable. And, and sadly we were talking about December 21st being kind of the D day. And and this is a movie that just couldn't get past the competition, the reviews. It just had every obstacle in front of it and just floundered. Absolutely. And I mean, it was a rough go for, uh, for universal in the holidays, like except yeah. with the exception of the Grinch, which was made, like 270 million domestically it was it was a huge huge family hit um they but they they took it on the teeth with both marwin and mortal engines the, the oh, peter boy. jackson produced very expensive uh movie and um that one made like 
What are we it's it's at? at 73 million worldwide to date on a hundred million dollar budget, and that's 16 million domestically. That's that's a rough go of things. And um, you mentioned this off mic, but I I think it's worth noting here too is like you know we're on the uh, um what is it the movie that's coming out Alita Battle Angel oh, is coming yeah. out and and it's very, like very similar ambitious um visually stunning uh produced by you know someone who would who you claim is a visionary produced by james cameron and um written by james cameron written by james cameron as well and um and then like it's coming off the heels of this movie that like really 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 tanked and uh, alita was actually the other thing worth noting is alita was supposed to come out december 21st originally yep and fox was like nope we're getting out of there (laughs) uh which was a smart move like i I think that movie's still gonna struggle but it was a smart move to get out of the the oven of december 21st Um, you know what they did instead though is they they went back and did the once upon a deadpool thing and put that out december 14th so fox retreated and then just was like we're gonna put deadpool out for a second time that's right. I totally even forgot that came out. <laughs> I know it didn't. Do, it didn't do well, but you know that's a whole other thing. But yeah, Alita dodged a bullet, hopefully. big time. Big time. It dodged. It would have suffered the same fate as Mortal Engines, and it still might. But it it's got a better shot now in February. But it's it's interesting. These like big visionary tough sell movies, like um like i i want those big swings to exist like kind of like you were mentioned with the conflict movies like i want these movies that take chances and risks on a on a budget to work but they also got to connect with people too and so like i fear like these movies uh you know are probably these ones are probably going to be relegated to the outskirts um here pretty soon within the next couple years yeah, I I think the day of giving a hundred million dollars to a James Cameron or Peter Jackson to go off and make their passion project are gone at the studio level. Um, I'd be curious if these guys will find the same success maybe on something like Netflix, where seemingly they're still willing to write the big checks. But yeah, Mortal Engines is a just a terrible, terrible. Uh, box office performer. I, I didn't see it in theater, so I can't talk to its quality. But it was written by Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh, the same people who brought you the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It was directed by a guy who is not just some rando that Peter Jackson picked off on the streets. This is a guy who's been working with Peter Jackson for over a decade, was part of the Lord of the Rings, was part of The Hobbit, and for all intents and purposes, with Peter Jackson over his shoulder. And this movie just really really stunk up the place it was released december 14th which you're thinking okay it's got a week to do its thing before the onslaught of the 21st but it just it just was dead on arrival and and it's just one of those things where in hindsight you're thinking like what was universal doing but at the time uh when universal greenlit this you know on paper this is a a easy sell peter jackson brand new IP. People are always talking about, I I want the next new thing, you know, give me something original, even though this is based on a book series, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's not a superhero. It's not, you know, a fast and furious movie. It doesn't have the rock and nobody showed up for it. And, and that's the, the big thing that is, uh, is bringing those Alita, uh, mentions is, is they almost seem like the same story, right? Like, it's almost like deja vu. We just went through this in December with mortal engines. And here we are with another visionary director with his passion project, hired a a guy to, to direct it, but he's very hands-on big budget. 
what's going to happen with Alita? Probably the same thing. And and yeah, it's it's unbelievable that Mortal Engines, written and produced by Peter Jackson, can't even make a hundred million dollars in the overall in the entire world, but. That's the reality we're in right now. That's true. I mean, it's like like you said, it's tough in those theatrical streets. I I love that. Yeah, I, you got to coin that phrase. It's fantastic, <laughs> but it's 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 hard. And and I agree. I think like you know, if they're gonna get those passion projects made anymore, it's probably gonna be relegated to the streaming realm. Um, I think that's a good uh good comparison. Um, or and, they're just gonna have to take less budget. Like that's Peter true. Jackson is just gonna have to say, I gotta make this for fifty million. I don't know how you do that with Mortal Engines because it's so CGI heavy or or even Alita for that matter. But I mean, that's what it comes down to. Um there's this quote that uh I always go back to when I think of uh box office. It's from Seth Rogan where he's talking about why he's able to to just continuously make a uh his own movies, original movies, and and keep getting financed and he said that he doesn't ask for too much money and there's this there's this magic number probably between 35 and 50 million where a guy like peter jackson doesn't have to worry about the box office performance universal will just let him do his thing and and he can make whatever he wants and if he's able to do that then awesome but these these hundred million dollar budgets and hundred million dollar advertising campaigns just they're not going to be there anymore yeah absolutely and you know for sidebar for what it's worth Peter Jackson said he was open for doing another movie like Dead Alive or The Bad Taste. So, hey, if that ends up being his jam or he ends up going and doing that, I won't I won't argue. Um, that yeah, would be great. yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's odd now taking his whole career in, in perspective that he maybe reached his creative peak before Lord of the Rings. Totally. Um, an argue, argument could be made for that. And and after Lord of the Rings, he just got sucked into this whole franchise, big budget machine. And and he just really hasn't been able to recover. Granted, he won Oscars and all that with Lord of the Rings. But, you know, look at The Hobbit and look at Mortal Engines and, you know, and and hopefully he finds his, his footing again because he is. You look at Bad Taste or um, his early movies and, and the, they're wacky for sure, but they, they're definitely unique. And, and hopefully he gets back to that. Absolutely. Um, that would be, that would be great. But, um, so back to box office, a couple other titles, I think worth mentioning. Those were, those were the ones that really, really hurt. Those are the ones that really bit the dust in the award season, uh, or the fall season in general, but a couple yeah. of titles we didn't really talk about too much in depth. Uh, but we brought up, we at least mentioned Mary Poppins returns at the top, um, has made 151 million up to this point. Um, I think, as you mentioned, maybe not the numbers Disney wanted, but considering the sort of like tepid opening, it's had tremendous legs. Um, it will probably outgross. It's already outgrossed uh, Into the Woods, Rob Marshall's last movie for Disney, and it's going to outgross The Greatest Showman as well, uh, which kind of had a like now infamous leggy run uh, yeah. from last year. So, um, I, I, you know, it, it maybe not the slam dunk they wanted, but it is certainly um, at least a moderate success. Yeah, uh, Mary Poppins is is hard to to talk badly about. Honestly, it it is a PG movie or a musical from Disney, playing off a popular uh, film, a classic film, not just popular film. And and yeah, three. Uh, its current worldwide is two hundred and eighty eight million, which isn't isn't terrible. Um, but you look at production budget; it has a reported budget of one hundred and thirty million, which is is pretty darn high. And um, yeah, while while Rob Marshall's probably happy because it did better than a couple of his lesser movies, it it it, 
it isn't Disney standards. And and it's important when we talk about box office to talk about Disney standards versus everybody else's standards, because one of the uh, big quote unquote bombs for Disney in 2018 was A Wrinkle in Time. And that right. movie still made 100 million uh, domestically. I don't I don't know off the top of my head what's worldwide was, but it, it you know, we're, we're talking about Universal, you know, losing a hundred million from mortal engines and disney doesn't have that sort of loss so when you see 288 million for mary poppins returns a normal studio would be like hey that's not that's not bad disney on the other hand is looking at that like oh where did we mess up because emily blunt lynn lynn manuel miranda uh mary poppins all these are are, are names that, that people just know and while it, it, there's probably not going to be a Mary Poppins Returns again. Um, this is it's definitely not what Disney had hoped when they wanted to uh, go back to the Mary Poppins well, so to speak. Totally. Uh, and another, people aren't talking about this necessarily, speaking of like that Disney standard. Um, but I also got to say, I, I don't, I don't imagine they're super happy with um, how Ralph Breaks the Internet performed as well. Um you know, it's it, it made 190 million domestically, which is just slightly above the first one. Uh, it's made 435 million worldwide, which is slightly below the first one, uh, on a production budget of 175 million. Um, and I, I gotta imagine they were banking that more people loved the first movie, or more people were like itching for more of that story. But it just kind of made about the same amount of money as the first one, which usually you want to improve on. Well, a couple things I think that go into that is is Wreck-It Ralph was six years ago, right? Um, twenty twelve. So there was a little bit of a gap, but also you're absolutely right. Four hundred and thirty five million is what it's worldwide. Is that right now? Uh, one hundred seventy five million dollar budget. Those, it's not a good number. With one hundred seventy five million, you're looking. You need to be over five hundred to uh, to really break even as far as theatrical run goes. And what what stands out for me with Ralph Breaks the Internet is it came out November 21st, which is right in the heart of uh, – I think that was actually Thanksgiving Day, right? Uh, day um, before, but yeah. Day before Thanksgiving. So that had that holiday, and then it's only four weeks from Christmas where competition was crazy during Christmas, but it still should have been a movie that had legs even at that time. And – it's advertising wasn't really focused on Ralph so much as it was those Disney princesses, which if you talk to any Disney fan, it put a princess on something and that's like, Oh my gosh. And, and here it is. It's $175 million movie, 190 domestic. I mean, that's just, you know, that's, that's definitely not where they wanted to be. Um, but again, Disney standards are different than everybody else's. Right. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, uh, first world problems as far as the box office goes, but yeah, it's, it's, it'll be a long time before Ralph comes back. I would suggest, I would say, I would say too. I think they were hoping for those, uh, you know, M Moana legs at worst and like frozen legs at best. And, uh, yeah. which, you know, both, which came out around Thanksgiving. Um, and, and it didn't really, I mean, I was gonna say it didn't really face too much competition because like Creed two didn't really dip into its, its, uh, you know, territory. But then again, I guess the Grinch came out a couple weeks before. Um, and that, that seemed to overshadow it. Um, which is interesting to say the least. 
Um, well, I, I think what you run into this time of year, too, is, is you always have that one Christmas movie that does really well, right? And I think people around Thanksgiving were looking for that Christmas vibe, and, and Ralph wasn't that, and The Grinch was, and, and The Grinch is a classic, so... Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's, it's it was a pretty safe bet since it's a beloved, yeah. you know, beloved um, character in a beloved book. Um, there's like one more big budget title and then a couple smaller titles I want to mention. And if you have anything else you want to mention, definitely bring it up. Um, but but I I can't let uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald uh, <laughs> skid by our conversation because uh, I have not seen the movie personally, uh, I nor will I. But um Warner Brothers is trying to make five of these Fantastic Beast movies. It was going to be three, and then they were going to make five. The first one was like, I think, made almost eight hundred million worldwide. It was a pretty big hit and a pretty big leggy hit. Um, but The Crimes of Grindelwald tapped out domestically at one hundred fifty-eight million, which is uh, I'd have to look through the Harry Potter series, but it, far and away the lowest-grossing domestic Harry Potter-related movie. Um, 647 million worldwide on a 200 million dollar budget that needed to yeah. make at least 800 million um yeah. you know and it and it did not and uh and then the reviews were mostly pretty rough for the movie as well uh which like my biggest question i guess the two biggest questions are number one are they reconsidering making five and going back to making this a trilogy and number two how swiftly does Johnny Depp get the kick in the ass out of of this series? I mean, I don't know if that's an easy out. I haven't seen the movie, but um, I can't help but think that that coupled with negative reviews, like really hurt the movie. So uh, I have to admit, I haven't seen the movie, nor am I a big Harry Potter person either. So if, if there are people out there that are obsessed with this franchise, listening to this right now, you have to pardon us kind of talking out of our butts but that being said uh fantastic beasts crimes of grindelwald which is a again a weird title um it, it finished at 158 uh or i guess it's still technically in theaters but it's pretty much done with 158 million um domestic gross which is like 80 million below the last fantastic beast domestic and um almost a full 100 million below the worst harry potter movie which was prisoner of azkaban and when I say worst, I mean domestic performer. Um, and then when you look at worldwide, like you said, this movie needed to make eight hundred million on a two hundred million dollar budget, and six hundred and fifty is just is is well below that. Um, it's not necessarily alarming in the sense that this isn't. I don't think Warner Brothers is is you know ready to to burn the whole house down, so to speak. But it, it's definitely concerning. And and the main reason is is the last Fantastic Beast did 814 worldwide. Prisoner of Azkaban, which was at the time the lowest performing Harry Potter movie worldwide, still did 797, so basically 800 million. This movie did 650, which is far below that. And as you said, the the word of mouth was not good. Um, people came out of that movie either really jazzed, but or, or kind of disappointed. And I think the people that were really jazzed are, are those really diehard Harry Potter fans. And the people that were disappointed are those people that would have gone and seen it a second time, perhaps, um, and and just didn't. So as the future goes, I, I personally think that they will have to stick with the five movie plan just because J.K. Rowling, um, the course correction to, to wrap up what would have been three movies worth of story into one movie, 
would have just probably created a nightmare as far as um, plotting goes. Sure. Which, uh, you know, just on a practical level, maybe they could cut one movie out of it, but I doubt two. Um, and we just we uh, just talked with Catherine Waterston, and they're going back into production this summer. So, <laughs> oh my god, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there, there's no course correction going on. They are are really going to to see this one through. Um, what will be interesting is is perhaps this film was um, the outlier, and maybe the next one will do well. Um, it'll be interesting to see, but. It's not just Johnny Depp either that people have to think about too. Is the first Fantastic Beast focused on Eddie Redmayne, and it was like this introduction to this new story, and then they they pulled out the big guns like Jude Law and um, Johnny Depp, and the movie did horribly. So, you know, it, even though Johnny Depp has all that negative uh, controversy around him, Jude Law was also a selling point and just couldn't get it done. So, yeah, I think the the real big test will be the next one but if you're warner brothers you're not pleased at all with how grindelwald did worldwide oh yeah absolutely especially when it's one of their big big golden gooses still is um so. yeah outside of dc that's that's their their cash cow um so yeah absolutely um so yeah the couple more i wanted to mention i guess to to kind of double back to the uh like small adult dramas um we brought up second act but we haven't really talked about it um yeah and I don't. You haven't seen it, have you? No. Okay, I, I haven't either. But, um, but you know, sixteen million dollar budget, uh, thirty six million uh, opening from STX, or not thirty six million opening. Excuse me, thirty six million total domestic, uh, fifty million worldwide, which is like it's pretty solid for a little uh, romantic comedy that uh, from a small distributor that um, you know didn't really market it too hard. So um, I guess good on them for that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you have a Jennifer Lopez movie, which, you know, maybe 15 years ago would have held a little bit more weight than it does now. But um, she's still a recognizable star. And it opened on that December 21st day against the three big movies. And then Welcome to Marwin, which arguably had more buzz coming into it. And not only did it outgross Welcome to Marwin on that opening weekend, it almost tripled it. So, true, you know, a $6.5 million opening during December 21st is, isn't bad. Um, and like you said, it's at 36. So it's, it's perhaps that sort of counter programming that everybody talks about where, you know, if you have a bunch of superhero movies and you have a bunch of big budget movies, you know, throwing in the odd romantic comedy or, you know, female led comedy to just spice things up sometimes pays off. And I, I think that definitely, um, is the case with second act. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it worked, it worked for them. And then, uh, the last one I want to bring up uh, is uh, one of the more successful platform releases throughout the the winter, uh, which is the favorite. Um, yeah, which has made twenty one point five domestically as of this recording, and almost thirty six million worldwide. Um, it's easily, I'm pretty sure it's Fox Searchlight's best performer of the year, and you know, pending uh, next week's oscar nominations which it's expected to do really well at um this movie's probably not done either it's still probably got some life ahead of it yeah it's uh i don't think they're getting as much um awards wins as they were thinking they would but they're definitely olivia coleman's is racking up some uh some trophies so there's going to be some buzz as we go further into oscar season Mm -hmm. and and that is one that 
could see, you know, a, a modest bump in theater count and, you know, a couple good strong weekends ahead of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's 20, what, 21.5 million on a, uh, on a film that's a period film with uh, a predominantly British cast outside of Emma Stone. And yeah, you, they have to be happy with that. I mean, and and we talk about odd movies. The favorite is definitely an odd movie too. It's oh yeah. It's not just a, your typical period drama. It's it's a, a female focused. Um, I venture to say love story, I guess, between three women, and it's 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 pretty incredible that it's doing so well. But then again, you know, you hope that good movies do well, and and this seems to be the case of a good movie doing well. As Absolutely, it and just personally, as someone who's been a huge fan of Yorgos Lanthimos since the beginning of his career. I, uh, I'm so excited that this movie <laughs> is being widely accepted by people. Um, I, I never thought that would happen. So that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. Um, are there any other movies that we left off our, our sort of like holiday assessment that, that you wanted to bring up or any other points? Just, just a quick, quick thing. When we were talking about this, uh, sort of, you know, lack of adult movies doing well. Um, I couldn't help but think of a few, actually. Mary Queen of Scots, oh, which yeah. had uh, has uh, Saoirse Ronan and Margot Robbie, which are arguably two of the most recognizable actors working today, and uh, a period drama with a high production value, and seems to it made fifteen million domestically, but but that's just a a blip on the radar. It didn't really do what it could have done maybe 10 years ago. Um, and then also Ben is back, which is, is just now starting to make its expansion, but we're talking a movie with Julia Roberts and there's little to no buzz, which is, is just kind of mind boggling to me as well. Um, you would think a Julia Roberts movie, you know, period would do well. And this is a drama where, People are saying she does really well, but there's no um, no buzz, no Oscar buzz. And it just is we'll see if it finds an audience in the coming days. But early on, it's just not doing well at all. Yeah, that's true. That one that one kind of had like a slow, slow build, um, maybe too slow, even like it just it didn't really have much buzz to even capitalize on. And then all of a sudden it, it's expanding and nobody really uh, notices. Um I think yeah, it uh it, it expanded. I'm sorry to cut you off, but this last weekend it expanded to 600 screens and did an $800 per screen average, which is just abysmal. So that movie is it expanded a little, but is going to retreat back. So yeah, it's done. That's yeah, that's that's pretty rough. Uh, even rough, you know. Speaking of star vehicle uh, movies that that took it took it on the teeth. Um, Box Lux is another one I wanted to bring up that was just like, uh, you know, I mean, granted, it was a very polarizing movie, but like it still has Natalie Portman in it. She's front and center on the poster. Uh, and it's put out by Neon, who, I mean, while they're relatively new distributor, they did very, very well with I, Tonya, uh, both critically, commercially and award wise. And um, and just nobody was interested in, the, in this movie at all. And it just, uh, like, you know, it stars Natalie Portman. Like, she's still yeah. a pretty great star, big star. And, yeah, it made less than a million. And uh, it, that one that one kind of really took it on the teeth. So so it's interesting. And, and I am so sad that uh, Rod couldn't join us for this portion of the conversation. Because <laughs> me and him have had quite the conversations about Vox Lux. Um, we both saw this movie... And had the exact same reaction, which seems to be the antithesis to a lot of people at the playlist, which is 
I really, really dislike that movie. Um, and, but you're right. This is a Natalie Portman movie. Um, and it's, it's not just a Natalie Portman movie. She capital A acts throughout this movie and she is just doing her damnedest to really sell this movie. It's just, it's a weird one. Um, especially if you go into it, not knowing the story, um, I can see how within the first five minutes you're going to be completely turned off. Um, but I mean, the songs in it are great. Sia, who's a hit maker, make some hits and you would think like with a stars born and bohemian rhapsody capitalizing on this music even with uh subpar um you know the uh like scenery dressing around it um you would think that vox lux would have been able to do the same but it just it, it was and people just did not care and and i think part of it was neon being young um kind of a small little upstart studio saw Natalie portman in a movie that when it was released in the um, festival circuit was getting a lot of buzz, potential Oscars, blah, blah, blah. They were like, we have to get this out now. And unfortunately, just, yeah, nobody cared. <laughs> no, not at all. And, and it feels like, I think I've said this before, maybe on Twitter or, or something to the effect of like, this feels this feels more like, like a March, like indie movie release. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, this, this just did not feel like, in award season one and, and, and clearly they were, they were kind of, kind of punished for it. Um, so yeah, another one also, we were, we were talking about these movies that underperformed There's, there seems to be just so many, we were talking about Clint Eastwood being, you know, this, this name, this legend that made on 90 million with the mule. You have Robert Redford who did the old man in the gun, which not only is this a Robert Redford movie, but many were thinking this is perhaps his last acting role. And it just did 11 million overall domestically. And it's just, you know, did not make any sort of noise at the box office and, and is by all accounts, a pretty good movie that just didn't find an audience. Absolutely. Yeah. That one, that one was also strange. Um, I can't believe we haven't mentioned widows as well. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm surprised we got this far without mentioning that, 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 you know, only took, I think it's made less than 40 million at this point. Like, uh, I'll, keep talking as i look this up but like you would have thought with that cast okay it's made 42 domestically but still mm-hmm. like with that cast and you know steve mcqueen and oscar winner like um you would have thought that that movie would have been like the breakout hit of the fall and and it just kind of did okay um and that's that's crazy to me as well which is interesting because uh anecdotally everybody that I know who um, isn't necessarily a quote unquote cinephile, but somebody who just enjoys movies. Everybody who's seen that, it's a crowd pleaser. It really yeah. is. The, the acting is great. The story is not difficult to follow. Um, in fact, maybe its biggest complaint is that Steve McQueen made a movie that appeals to everybody instead of, you know, maybe a movie that challenged the viewer. But Overall, worldwide, I think it's at $75 million on a $42 million budget, which isn't great, um, especially when you have Viola Davis, Colin Farrell, um, Daniel Kaluuya coming off of Get Out. And it's written by Gillian Flynn, who is not just anybody. She's the one who did uh, Gone Girl, you know, and, and that was such a smash for uh, for uh, David Fincher and, and Ben Affleck. But this, yeah, it just it, it didn't do terribly. It would be um, bad of us to say that this is a bomb, yeah. but it definitely didn't do as well as as the qual the the talent would suggest, um, which is a shame because 
like I said, it, it is a crowd pleaser. It's a fun movie. It's just perhaps not the Oscar winner uh, that maybe people were anticipating. Oh, sure. But I, it doesn't take away from the quality of the movie. And that, yeah, that just, that surprised me when I, when I saw it, I'm like, this movie's going to break out because like, yeah, it played the audience so well. And like, you know, everyone loved it. Like I loved it. My wife and I loved it. Like it, but like nobody, no, you know, it just kind of, kind of fizzled out, which is, which is too bad. Yeah. I saw it twice actually. Cause I, I saw it um, by myself at a screening and, you know, I was like, wow, this is, is pretty good. And I was telling my wife about it. And we went a second time with a with a normal crowd and the crowd was like reacting in a way that you don't hear much with gasps and, you know, people like yelling at the screen. And it was it was a fun experience. But it's just because, you know, it's just a well-made heist thriller. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it it definitely deserved better. Um, Are there any others we're missing that you can think of off the top of your head? No, I think I think we've about covered just about every movie that was released in November and December. I think so, yeah. So I think maybe we can finally put 2018 to bed. Uh, I know we're still <laughs> we're still going to be feeling that residual through uh, the 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 sort of bigger movies that are still out in theaters and through award season as we're we're still struggling through that. Um, but I think it's as safe to say, as far as our coverage is concerned, we can finally lay it to rest. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, Aquaman made a billion dollars. Congratulations. Yeah. This is the moral of the story. <laughs> well, cool. I think that about wraps up our coverage. Thank you, Charles, for hopping on and, and for being the one to to bring this up uh, to, as a discussion point. I'm glad we were able to kind of dive in and figure out, uh, you know, kind of do like a state of the industry within the, the box office numbers. So I'm glad I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah, and if if there are other box office nerds like us out there, we do a fairly comprehensive box office report every Sunday. So uh, feel free to to debate us on the numbers there too. Absolutely, yes. You can find that on theplaylist.net, so be sure to check that out. You could also subscribe to this podcast feed on the Playlist Podcast Network on your podcatcher of choice, uh, be it SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, wherever you get listen to your podcasts, and you'll get this show as well as Adjust Your Tracking and Bingeworthy and Indie Beats, uh, Be Real, and um you know drop us a line give us a comment or rating uh just let us know what we're doing right what we can improve on and um you know thank you we're just happy that people out there are actually listening and maybe taking us even moderately seriously so this, <laughs> it's 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 reassuring to know so thank you all for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode